Welcome to ACC Nation. That's Will Ogenen. I'm Jim Quist, and our special guest is WDBJ7 Sports Director Travis Wells, and we're talking Hokies football. Welcome back, Travis. Hey, thanks for having me, Jim. Hey, you're a big part of the community in the Roanoke and New River Valley. People talk. You listen. What are they saying about the mutual parting of ways of Justin Fuente and the Hokies? Well, I think the big thing yesterday was just the timing of the whole situation. I don't think many people expected it to come down at 7.45 a.m. on a Tuesday morning. I think it was a foregone conclusion that this was the decision that was coming. I just think most people felt like it was going to be at the end of the season after these last two games. There's still two games left with Miami this weekend and then Virginia, obviously two of your biggest rivals. And so the timing of it from that standpoint was curious, especially since Justin Fuente did his normal weekly press conference on Monday and then this comes down on Tuesday morning. So it was a little bit of a head scratcher. Um, but I think if you listen to, to Whip Babcock yesterday and some of his comments, he said, you know, he kind of made the decision after the Boston College game. And I think Coach Fuente wanted to be around for senior day and then decided to, to kind of ride off into the sunset and forego these last two games. Let's go back a few years. Uh, Frank Beamer announces his resignation. He shook the fan base. Change is difficult. Then Whit Babcock announces that, along with a new face at head coach, that uh, fortunately defensive coordinator Bud Foster was sticking around. Delve into your memory just a little bit here and take us through that whole process of making that change. Well, I think they made it look easy at the time back in December of 2015. Now, six years ago, I think the folks that made that trip down to Memphis to, to talk with Fuente that night, it was Whit Babcock and Desiree Reed, Desiree Reed Francois, who was the associate AD at Tech at the time. And Bud Foster was on the flight with him. And they went down and had a good visit with Coach Fuente and his family. And they made that decision, you know, to keep Bud and the whole nine yards and made it really look easy. It seemed like a home run hire at the time. Uh, they go out that first year. They win 10 games. They go 10 and four, win the ACC Coastal Division and, and nearly knock off Clemson in the ACC championship game and it, everything looked great. Right. And then from there, things just kind of snowballed and went downhill. Maybe even after that next year, I think they won nine games the next year, uh, went to a bowl game and so forth. But then after that, it's just been kind of downhill from there. Uh, you know, obviously we can talk about his record 43 and 31, um, the ACC record. He was 14 and three against the likes of Duke, Carolina and Virginia um, and not so good against everybody else. And so that, that was kind of ultimately his downfall. So when Fuente took the reins, uh, would you say that the, the fans bought in or was it um, easy as you go and let's see what this guy has? I think there was probably a little bit of both of that. I think there were there was a certain faction of the fan base that was really excited. Um, they kind of liked what they saw from his offense at Memphis and what he did with Paxton Lynch. Um, he was obviously a hot draft pick going to Denver. Um, didn't pan out there. but So I think people were excited about that. They wanted an offensive-minded coach. They felt like the offense had kind of stagnated a little bit the last few years under Coach Beamer and so forth. They were excited about his reputation for developing quarterbacks. Um, and then there was the other group that kind of took the approach that, that you said, you know, hey, let's wait and see. Uh, he's coming from the Power Five. He's never really – or excuse me, the group of five never really had a head job at the Power Five level. Let, let's wait and see and sort of take that approach. Well, you, you mentioned just a, a moment or two ago about that first year, and uh, that helped sell the goods. But uh, as you mentioned, things became, I'll use the word uneasy. Is that a, an appropriate term here as things pr 
progressed or digressed? I'm not sure which word to use in that. I think so. You, you know, you can talk about the win-loss record, and ultimately that's what gets coaches fired, right? But there were a lot of other things kind of going on in the periphery, so to speak. Um, I think a lot of people, as time wore on in the Hokie Nation, were a little miffed by the fact that there wasn't a whole lot of access to the program like there was under Coach Beamer. And look, he's the CEO. He's the, the manager of the program. That's entirely his call and his prerogative to do that. But that didn't really sit well with some people in the media and some people in the fan base and so forth as far as, you know, closed practices. And um, I thought it was interesting yesterday and with the press conference, he, he talked about whoever the next coach is really needs to kind of connect with the community and so forth, whether it's at, you know, the Hokie Club meetings, the Blacksburg Sports Club, Roanoke Valley Sports Club, whatever it might be. Um, so that was, you know, kind of out there. And then the quarterback issues, I mean, I think he's had six or seven different starting quarterbacks in his tenure and kind of a failure to develop some of those guys didn't sit well. 42 or 43 players have entered the transfer portal um, in his tenure. So that was another thing. And then if you go back to January of 2020, his little flirtation with Baylor didn't sit well with a whole lot of people. Um, I think whether it was in that moment or somewhere else down the line, the relationship with, with Whit Babcock kind of became fractured somewhat i think they've repaired that and we're kind of moving on and then things just didn't get any better from that point and so i think all those things sort of contributed and added up will so looking back on it now was there a certain point where you can pinpoint and say okay this is where things started to fail for justin fuente <sighs> that's a great question i don't know if there was a single moment i think there were some losses that really kind of got under people's skin. Um, I'm trying to remember if it was his second or third year when they went down, they win the season opener at Florida state. And then they come back two weeks later and lose to old dominion. And the whole reason they scheduled that game down there in the Tidewater region was for recruiting purposes and um, to show folks down there what the program was about. And uh, they end up losing that game. Josh Jackson breaks his ankle and Ryan Willis comes in and, um, it was a close game at the end, but it really, to be honest, wasn't that close. So that was kind of one. And then the Liberty game last year where Liberty's lined up for the field goal and he calls the timeout. Um, that was another one that comes to mind. And um, really, they let one get away, a game they shouldn't have lost. And then I think even before that um, was the Duke game um, when they lost at home to Duke 45 to 10, really got run out of Lane Stadium. Um, although that team, to its credit, regrouped, um, went to a bowl game and ended up on a pretty good run. So I think those three games and games like that, there were just too many of them to kind of discount. And so people in the family, if you're Virginia Tech in the state, you can't be losing to people like ODU and Liberty. And I don't don't imagine being the first, the suffering the first loss to Virginia since 03 didn't help either. <laughs> no, not when you've won, what, 16, 17 in a row against your arch rivals. Um, that one stung. I think everybody kind of realized, hey, this thing's going to end at some point. Um, but yeah, to, to lose that one really hurt. Although to Fuente's credit, he was four and one against those guys. And so I know coaches are measured on that, how you do in those rivalry games. So as I mentioned before we started, I'm a thousand miles away from Blacksburg, but just from the outside view, it didn't feel like Fuente was a great culture fit for Blacksburg. Am I wrong there? I don't think so. Not at all. I think he struggled to embrace Blacksburg. Obviously it's a small town in Southwest Virginia. Um, he never really, like I mentioned earlier, connected with, with the community and, and the, 
important people uh, to the program, donors and uh, alums and so forth. And I think that really hurt him. And for whatever reason, I just, I don't know. I just don't think he had the personality for that. I don't think it was anything personal or something he did intentionally. I just think he was a little bit introverted. And unfortunately, as the CEO or a program manager of a big time college football program, you can't do that. You, you've got to be the face and be the front man and, you know, go out there and shake hands and talk to people and so forth. And that just wasn't him. So why do you think he never really got a strong foothold in the 757 in terms of recruiting? That's a great question. And one that a lot of people have asked, um, you know, I just remember not to keep going back to coach Beamer, but I remember he would always say, you have to kind of put a fence around the state, so to speak. And I remember um, when I first got into sports TV, you know, 20, 25 years ago, every year tech and Virginia dominated the state in recruiting. Um, and I think this past year, um, only four, maybe three or four of the top 10 or 15 kids in the state stayed in state at Tech or UVA. They all went out of state. Um, and you guys know recruiting is all about relationships. And I'm not sure how hard this staff really worked on those relationships in places like Richmond and Northern Virginia and the 757 Virginia Beach with those high school coaches down there. And I think you know that was the thing that, that really hurt them. A lot of times it felt like they were putting more of an emphasis on recruiting different regions, um, say in Oklahoma or Texas and so forth. And so in the end, I think it came back to bite them. Before we get really dive into the job itself, let's look ahead a little bit for the rest of the season. What can you tell us about J.C. Price, who is going to be the interim coach these final two games? So I think it's really ironic that J.C. is going to make his head coaching debut against Miami. J.C. was one of the heroes of the 1995 uh, Hokies who beat Miami in the third game of the year. They started the season 0-2. They lose to Boston College and Cincinnati um, and come back. They'd never beaten Miami. They were rolling in here um, with a Heisman Trophy candidate and Gino Toretta. The Rock, if I'm not mistaken, was on that team. And Tech ends up beating them that day 13-7. They go on to win the next nine. They win 10 straight games, go 10-2, and and beat Texas in the Sugar Bowl. So J.C. was um, one of the heroes of that team. And, um he understands Blacksburg and the culture of Virginia Tech. Uh, he married a, a women's basketball player at the time, Jenny Root. Um, so they are diehard Hokies through and through. I, somebody said today, if you were to cut JC open, he would bleed uh, maroon and orange and so forth. So I think he understands all that um, and embraces it. And he's had some good stops along the way in his coaching career, JMU and Marshall, and done a really nice job. I, I think his challenge is, these last two games, just to get the guys to go out and have fun and play loose and let it all hang out and lean on your assistance and not try to do too much yourself. Jim. Travis, you almost sound like you should be an assistant coach, man, with that, with that kind of talk <laughs> coming out. I, I, <laughs> man. Hey, after spending uh, eight and three quarter million dollars on parting gifts, does uh, this put any um, obvious restraints on the recruitment process financially for Tech? I'm not privy to a whole lot of that. I would say no. I think a lot of that money um, was private money through donors and so forth. I know they're still working through some of those details um, with the agent and the lawyers and so forth, but I, I don't think it's going to be a, a huge hindrance, um, even when you're you're going out and trying to hire another coach. Um, somebody asked me the other day, hey, is this is this still a good job? And absolutely, I, I think it is. Um, there's some good that came out of the Fuente era. The facilities in all sports have seen, you know, upgrades and improvements and so forth. Um, there's a brand new nutrition center down there. Uh, I think there's a greater awareness of 
uh, sort of assistant coaching salaries and so forth and a pool for that as well. So uh, I think the money, you know, you look at it and you're like, holy cow, like eight and three quarters of a million, million dollars, you know, that, that's a ton of money. Um, but I think it, I think they're going to be okay with, with donors and so forth. Just want you to know that's how much Travis makes in about three, three weeks <laughs> right. of work. So. Yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, now on a serious note, Whit Babcock, we, we talk about him constantly uh, as being one of the better ADs in the ACC. I still think that, but he's, he's got to have a lot of pressure on him right now because people, you know, in situations like this, they tend to focus on the negative. And they'll go back to when he was at Cincinnati and go, well, you know, he kind of muffed that one. Well, you know, maybe he muffed this one at at Virginia Tech. Should we trust him in picking another head coach? Um, So, yeah, there's some pressure there. Tell us a little bit who's involved in the process. Uh, I know Witt said he was in it and – that was his his baby, but there's got to be some other people. Obviously, as you talked before, when uh, they picked Fuente, um, there's p- other people involved. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, there's not a whole lot. There are a few other people, but um, he won't hire a search firm, um, as some schools do in these cases. Uh, so it'll be a committee of wit and maybe one or two others. It won't be a huge search committee. Um, if I were guessing, I would say John Belen, his right hand, uh, is going to be play a, a pretty big role in that. He played a huge role in hiring Mike Young as basketball coach, um, and obviously he's been a, a roaring success so far. Um, but John knows he understands um, what it takes to win at that level. He was Coach Beamer's director of operations for a number of years, uh, so I think John will be someone that that Witt leans heavily on. And then um, maybe a, a Brad Worthman, who's the sport administrator for football at Virginia Tech. I think he's one that'll have a little bit of input as well, but. Um, it's not going to be very many people. There's not going to be um, 10 or 12 people around a table in a room. There won't be a, a committee that way. Okay. Um, there's a slew of names that are being floated. Uh, before we delve into those, tell me what you think they're looking for in a head coach. Oh, man. I, I go back to what Witt said in the press conference yesterday. He talked about um, a lot of different things. I think there were seven or eight things. Discipline was one someone who can recruit the ACC footprint and the Virginia footprint um, and someone who can connect with the community. I think all those are, are big things. Uh, there's a ton of names out there. The two most prominent names that, that I've heard are Dave Clawson at, at Wake Forest. Um, you know, he's done a great job with the Demon Deacons this year. They're in line to play for the ACC championship, obviously, and, and maybe get a New Year's Six Bowl. And I think Clawson is a guy that has a reputation as always doing more with less and getting the most out of his guys and, and so forth. Wake's not an easy place to win, you know, down there at Winston-Salem, small private school, and he's done a nice job. Obviously, he knows Virginia a little bit from his time at Richmond, um, but he's had success at other places at, at Fordham, um, been the offensive coordinator down at Tennessee. And so I think he's a name that, that kind of comes to mind. I don't know if they could pry him away. Um, from Wake Forest. I know they've invested a lot in facilities and, and so forth, and money's not really an object there. And he may be up for some other opportunities as well. Who knows what might happen at Penn State with James Franklin. So I think Clawson is a name that will certainly be in the mix. And the other most prominent one that people are talking about right now is Billy Napier down in Louisiana and what he's done. Those guys are ranked 21st in the polls this week, and I'm actually really anxious to see them. I'm going to Lynchburg this weekend to watch his team at Liberty. Um, I'm anxious to kind of see what he's about, see what his team's about. But 
he's a guy, and I'm going to date myself a little bit here. He played quarterback at Furman when I was working in Bristol um, down there. He, I covered him playing East Tennessee State in the Southern Conference. He was a pretty darn good quarterback at Furman, and he's had some solid stops along the way in the coaching ranks, uh, working for Dabo Sweeney at Clemson and uh, Nick Saban in Alabama, too. And obviously, there's some other names out there, too. Charles Huff at Marshall and uh, even Hugh Freeze at, at Liberty comes to mind. Jamie Chadwell at Coastal Carolina. So I think those are kind of the names that are out there right now. Uh, I, I would um, just throw my two cents in here. Not that anybody really cares, but uh, Napier. Uh, I looked at his resume and his uh, track record, and I thought, nice fit. Um, Will, all yours. So before we get into more names, let me just ask you, let me just throw this out there. So aside from being, you know, at a power five conference, what are some of the selling points for, for the Virginia tech job? Well, as I mentioned earlier, I think the facilities are are on the up and up. Um, It's an ACC job. You said it in a power five conference, you're going to have a chance to compete. I think every year for that coastal division title. I mean, you look at it this year, it's been wide open. Um, some people would say it's down a little bit and, and is there for the taking. I think there's so much parity on, on both sides. You've seen it in the Atlantic Division this year, but you're going to have a chance to to win the ACC year in, year out and, and compete for um, a New Year's Six bowl game. Um, you know, if you run the table and win the conference championship, who knows? College football playoff is out there, too. I know that's pretty lofty um, considering where the tech program has been. Um, but I think some kids um, would like this setting in Blacksburg. I know it just depends on what you're looking for and Sometimes 18, 19, 20, 21-year-old kids don't really know. Do I want to go to school in a big city or would I like someplace a, a little bit slower? Um, and Blacksburg is obviously a, a little bit slower. It's not really close to any big cities. And some people see that as a challenge in recruiting. I, I don't really see it that way. I kind of see it um, as an advantage. And you can use that to your advantage um, when you're recruiting some of these kids. And so I think that's, that's pretty big. Well, you guys to mention probably the biggest names on the radar in Napier and Clawson, but there's a f- certain faction of the the fans who want the youngest Beamer who is sitting who is sitting down at South Carolina to to at least you know have a shot at the job. But my feeling is it, he's too inexperienced as a head coach to take the chance, uh, take a chance on him right now. Where where do where would you stand on that? I would tend to agree with that. Um... I'm not sure what Shane's relationship is with Witt. Uh, I know there were some tough sort of hard feelings when Frank Beamer left. And uh, I don't know if that has you know been repaired at all. But, you know, as you can imagine, that was a tough situation all the way around the way that went down. And uh, I listened to Shane's press conference down in Columbia yesterday at South Carolina. And someone obviously asked him the question as they had to about Virginia Tech. And he said, you know, obviously it's home to me. I grew up there, went to high school there, played there and coached there. Um, but now this is home. He, he pointed out that they hung a sign over at Williams Bryce Stadium and said, it says this is home. And that's not just some kind of funny slogan. He really meant it. And I think Columbia means something to him, too. I think that's a place he sees where he can build something um, in the SEC, obviously the best college football conference in the country. Uh, most people would agree with that. And so, um, look, they're five and five right now and on the cusp of going to a bowl game. And those fans, the fan base down there in Columbia, um, even though they haven't had a ton of success, is a rabid fan base, not unlike Virginia Tech's fan base. And so I think he enjoys that. Look, if you win seven, eight, nine games a year in Columbia and go to a bowl game, they'll build a statue for you maybe. So, um, and, and the other thing is, I think it would be tough to come back now um, after everything that's happened. There's a statue of your dad outside Lane Stadium. Um, just that shadow and 
the immense amount of pressure to succeed. I, I think Shane is pretty comfortable where he is. Um, I would love it from the standpoint of a media member just because I love his energy. Uh, I got fired up listening to his press conference yesterday, and um, he just kind of has that infectious personality, but I think he is pretty comfortable where he is. Another name that's been floated out there is uh, Jimmy Chadwell at Coastal Carolina, and he's had a he's been a, he's been there for quite a few years. I don't remember the exact number off the top of my head, but he's had decent success. But he's you know really it's really grown the last couple of years um, with uh, with that offense. What, what would you say with Jimmy Chadwell? Well, I think he had even success before that at Charleston Southern um, in the FCS ranks, and uh, coming into Coastal, he really sort of put that program on the map. Some of the wins that they've had over the past couple of years. Uh, Kansas, I know, isn't the greatest Power 5 program out there, but for them to beat them, I think twice in his tenure is pretty impressive. And um, he's obviously a, an offensive-minded guy, a quarterback guy, another guy that I covered when he was at East Tennessee State when I was down in Bristol. And I think if there's any guy that sort of fits in Southwest Virginia, it would be Jamie Chadwell, simply because he grew up in Northeast Tennessee between Johnson City and Knoxville, right down to the accent and the mullet that he's been sporting a little bit this year. I think I think people in the Hokie Nation could get behind a guy like that. Um, one more for me before we move on to Jim. There's a couple of uh, coordinators out there, like Mike Elko, for example, or uh, or Tony Elliott, especially who who have been you know career coordinators, but, uh, but have never really had head coaching experience. Would do you think the the fan base would welcome a first time head coach to the, to the job? That would be tough, I think. I think both of those guys are really sharp guys and really good at what they do. Um, Elko obviously knows the ACC from his time at Wake Forest. Uh, I think Elliott was one of the top names, if not the top name, last year. If they had made a move with Fuente last year, I think he was certainly going to be in the mix uh, for the job. And I think people are backing off a little bit now because of Clemson's issues on offense this year uh, and so forth. Uh, but I think eventually – those two guys are definitely going to be in line for a starting job. I'm not sure uh, how the Hokie Nation would react to either one of those two guys. All right, Jim, I'm going to finish her up. I, I find it fascinating. Some of the people who are on this list, Travis, um, and certainly Tony Elliott being one of them, but Brent Venables being the other from Clemson on there. Uh, Elko, as you discussed just a moment ago, from Texas A&M, Clawson at Wake Forest, uh, Joe Moorhead out at Oregon, Bill O'Brien um, at Alabama, Sonny Dykes, the head coach at SMU, and Marcus Freeman, the defensive coordinator at Notre Dame. Now, I, I don't know if this is um, pundits throwing uh, mud against the side of the barn to see what sticks or if there's any basis in fact here because this is pretty lofty uh you know company to be keeping here and they're they're you know not cheap either so um it, out of that list tell me what your feeling is about some of these names i just threw out is it realistic to 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 believe that out of all of these these guys that i just mentioned that uh some of these high rollers uh might have an interest in coming to as you say, a little smaller town, but a heck of a community. As uh, John Laser says, it's uh, clean mountain air. So <laughs> it is, and I think a lot of it is some of the the national writers. You know, they're friends with some of these coaches, and you know, hey, I'll I'll throw your name in the ring for this one, and um, maybe the agents are you know throwing names out there too to to different people that they have contacts with. But it's all in what you want, right? 
take Bill O'Brien, for example, a guy who's been in the NFL and kind of done it at every level and is at Alabama now. Would, would he want to jump back in at, at the ACC level? I don't know. I think it kind of depends on what those guys want. Do you want to be a head coach again? Are you comfortable being an assistant? Um, so, yeah, I think a lot of it is just kind of throwing mud up against the wall and, and seeing what sticks. Um, so we'll see. It'll be interesting here over the next week or two. One light note to finish it all up here, because you know me. So it's all about the light notes, okay? Um, family tradition for Thanksgiving in the Wells household. What do you guys do? Oh, man, that's a great question. We I don't know that we really have any Thanksgiving traditions. We typically um, will have either, we'll have lunch either with my family here in town in Roanoke, and I'll hang out with you know, my brother's family. I have three younger brothers, and uh, then we'll typically, typically go up to my wife's family. She lives up in Northern Virginia. Since our families have grown and my brother's families have grown, we've kind of had to alternate between the two each year. And so this year we'll just, we'll go up and have lunch with my wife's family. And then they have a tradition, the girls do in my family anyway, my wife and my daughter, Friday morning, they wake up at the crack of dawn and they go to this huge craft fair up in Winchester. And so um, I try to avoid that. I'm usually bringing my son back for basketball practice and then going into work to do high school football that night or, or the Tech UVA game in the years that it's been on a Friday and so forth. So that's kind of our tradition. Um, I guess the other one would be we, we always just try to take some pictures, some family pictures outside for Thanksgiving and Christmas and so forth. That, that's not a real good answer, but. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great <laughs> answer. And when the plate is put down in front of you, what, what are you going back for seconds? Uh, in a, what are the seconds on your plates during Thanksgiving? What's your favorite? Oh, man, definitely turkey, <laughs> gravy, and dressing. And then mashed potatoes. Um, and then my wife's grandmother, she had this cream corn recipe that's to die for. So uh -oh. the cream corn is definitely seconds and thirds. Good stuff. Well, I tell you what, from, uh, from all of us, uh, happy Thanksgiving. Hope your family has a great, safe, healthy, and, and really happy holiday and enjoy yourself. Hey, same to you guys, Jim. Thanks so much. Will, thanks a bunch. Hope you guys have a great thanks, holiday Travis. season. WDBJ7 Sports Director Travis Wells, thank you for joining us, sir, and talking about the Hokies. Thanks for joining us on ACC Nation. Follow us by subscribing on your favorite podcast or streaming radio platform and on YouTube. We'd appreciate a five-star rating while you're there. Visit our homepage at accnation.net and support us via PayPal. Keep up with the latest by following us on Google News. You can find ACC Nation on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, Reddit, and Pinterest. Follow Will at WillsWorldMN, and I'm at ACC The Q. Cheers! Scored.